Hello, this is Eric Brooks, the Poetry Against the World blog. I'm here with a fellow named Viz Clark, the Combinator. So after I did an interview you may have listened to with uh, Joshua from Mystic Shorts a couple of weeks ago, he uh, he actually volunteered and said he would like to be interviewed to talk a little bit about his art. And I thought, well, you know, I don't, <laughs> I'm just getting started on this. I'll, I'll, I'll try it out and see, we'll see where this goes. So let's see, do you want to just give a, just a brief interview or a brief introduction to who you are or what you do? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I figured it'd be fun to join you, but basically I'm just some sort of artist. You could say uh, I draw abstract art, sometimes figures and all sorts of things, really. Uh, I sometimes remix music. I'm a musician. I mean, I'm a lot of things casually and um, pretty much all just for fun, really. Yeah, for fun is uh, an, in- an interesting angle. I, I don't think it's often that people who aren't, you know, either professional or trying to break into professional art you know, are interviewed to talk about it. But I think it's maybe you know, maybe worth doing because it's, you know, it's something when you think back to before recorded music, for example, as you sent me a clip also of you playing uh, some, you know, you can maybe narrow down this genre a little bit, some <laughs> version of rock music, let's say. Um, yeah. You know, but before recorded music, that would have been pretty common for all sorts of people just to, to know how to play instruments and to do it in the home and things. Whereas now it's sort of like if you're in a band, people are like, well, your band's never going to make it. Like as if it's, not worth doing if you're not going to turn it into a career or something of course Um, yeah so i I think it's worth talking about you know what's the you do this with you know probably no intention maybe of ever turning into a career so what's the what's the motivation then yeah i mean i i think i just have a drive in me um and i think i think a lot of people do I think that maybe they've been fooled, you know, like you're saying by other people into thinking that you have to make something out of what you do in order for it to be like worth it. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, when you're gone, whatever you did is, is gone as well. So you might as well just enjoy what you're doing at the very least. And if you make it or not, it doesn't matter if, as long as you like what you're doing. So, I mean, for me, I figured, I don't even care. I, I, all I want to do is uh, make and create. And, um, you know, I, I I don't want to make anything from it. It's just for me. Right. So as a, as an amateur, maybe not interested in getting something from it financially, do you still find that it's important to you to try to get something from other people in terms of, you know, feedback or appreciation, even just from, you know, your maybe circle of friends or are you maybe comfortable with it even just as something you would do privately? Well, yeah, actually that's the thing. I've done it privately for years, um, more than I can remember. You know, I've been drawing for all of my life really. So um, the only thing is recently I've started sharing. I figured, um, you know, I figured that my art was good enough to share and that, you know, I ought to, uh, might as well show it to people um, sure. and you know the attention's cool like who doesn't like attention i mean like everybody likes to say oh you know somebody thinks that what i did is cool and it's nice to see that but it's when deep down it's not for any of that i, I have to do it regardless if i send it to somebody or not right yeah that's i i understand that because i I mean, right now I am trying to write books and actually sell them and, you know, make, you know, I don't know if I would become my 
my main source of income necessarily, but where, you know, maybe somewhat professional with it. But, you know, it's yeah. something I started doing, you know, really when I was in fourth grade, I guess. And I just sort of people ask me, oh, how did you get interested in poetry? You're like, well, I read a, I read a poem when I was a kid and then I decided yeah. that I liked it and I kept doing it. <laughs> um, and it eventually became, you know, unimaginable that I wouldn't be doing it, you know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's how it is, just a small little imprint. That's all right. you need. So how, how did you start drawing then? I mean, probably the same as anybody else, right? Just, you know, little things that your parents might hang up on the fridge. Um, sure. You know, like little characters that you make up and stuff. But, um, you know, my mother told me that, like, even when I was very young, you know, like five, six, seven, that my 3D work was really good. Like, my perspective was good. Like, it was just kind of natural for me. And it's something I really like doing. And sort of like you're saying, I just you know i ran into drawing i was like oh this is cool i'm not too bad at it and just kept doing it and um i realized that that's just something that i like to do it's just to make stuff in different ways so i just figured out different ways to do things and different things sure. to make did you ever pursue not necessarily academically but um you know in terms of maybe taking community classes or reading books on artistic technique or is it something that you just sort of did through experimentation um i've been to several courses and i've you know done a bunch of youtube stuff on like uh specifically um the human form because that's something that doesn't come naturally to me um but it's it's been a mix i'd say that most of it's self-taught most of my most of what i do is something i just like dive headfirst into and then you know see what happens So, I mean, I think um, the I've been to like two classes for art. Uh, one was in high school, which I'm sure doesn't really count. <laughs> and then one was in college, which I'm sure only counts a little bit more. <laughs> but aside from that, it's just been years of uh, doing it on my own. And regardless, if you go to class or not, you're going to figure out how to draw a clean line or you know, figure out how to balance your art in some sort of way. Um, sure. So, you know, years of practice or go to class. I mean, you know, people walk out of college unprepared for things anyways. So who's to say what's better? Right. Yeah. I don't necessarily, <laughs> I don't, I don't necessarily. It's hard to say. I think that uh, people coming out of art programs or MFA writing programs are necessarily the best artists and writers in the world always um yeah often you know often you come out learning a very formulaic way of doing it yeah, it's constrained, um, or right? you learn what you know what pleases people in a particular you know academic artist artistic community but not something that you know a normal person would actually look at and think was you know worth their time um yeah i guess it's... a lot of people have different opinions about i guess <laughs> who of anyone you should be trying to please with your art but i'd rather yeah, I'd rather have something that, you know, will make sense to, you know, a more or less normal person. Yeah, it's funny in the same way that music theory is a funny idea to me. Like, <laughs> it sounds yeah, good, you, it's good. You can, almost, you can almost study how to make it as unlistenable as possible. Yeah, it's ridiculous yeah. to me. There's unlistenable music to others that is amazing to me. <laughs> so, Sure. 
So let's see. I'll see one more question along those lines. Do you, what, what, we, what would you say is the value of doing something creative for yourself, even just sort of as a, a hobby compared to something that you sort of consume compared to just sort of consuming media, maybe, you know, watching or looking at other people's art and what's the, what's the value of that? I mean, you know, it's, it's corny, right. But there's like a fire in me, man. And, um, I, I just, it's something I have to do. I, I'm not sure how to, how like somebody could go without making something. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, even if it's casual, like, uh, you know, making something cool in Minecraft, for instance, you know, whatever it is for you. I mean, to me, it doesn't make sense that somebody couldn't. Um, I think looking at art and other people's creations is great, but for me, it's mainly for inspiration when I do so. Um, anytime I look at anything, um, it's, it's like, oh my God, wow, like they did this, they did that. I, I can appreciate it in, in the eyes of somebody who also makes something. Um, so I think you gain a lot as far as like your eye, you appreciate what others can do and what they've done. And, um, like, like I said, that fire, I have to anyways, but it's, it's hard to say, but I think that you just gain, um, also like an emotional release too. That's a big deal. Get a lot out. Yeah, it is, it is actually interesting. I, I don't really play video games anymore, but you know, so I've never actually played Minecraft, but, uh, it is just interesting seeing the popularity of that, that it's something that's so basic aesthetically. It doesn't have, you know, the, the graphics of so many modern games that, you know, try to become yeah. hyper realistic, but it's so popular. I think just because it engages human creativity and there's not a, yeah, there are not a lot of you know, outlets for that in our world either, you know, and often in our, a workplace, there's not, you know, there, not many of us are like traditional carpenters who are, you know, hand carving finely detailed doorways or something, right? Uh, yeah, it's true. I, I think, but, you know, even, even in our, uh, our social sorry. life also, you know, if you think about just the things we do together that we don't sing songs together anymore or things of that sort. Yeah. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to speak over you there. What were you, what were you? Uh, no, that was, that was me who did it to you. I'm sorry. Um, I, I was going to say that I think that there's like this innate need within us. I mean, we were, this world that we're in is pretty new to the human itself. Um, and I think that we need those things. Those games like Minecraft, for instance, you, I, f- I feel like you need to explore things. You need to see new things. You need to go places. And our life doesn't really allow us that. We have vacations where, <laughs> you know, one time, two times a year, you get four or five days to go somewhere when I feel like we should be doing that with almost all of our days. And right, and like, usually a vacation now is just to go somewhere and sort of sit and take it easy. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, that's something that's distinct about the kind of classical ideal of leisure versus our idea of free time. That's not just time when you don't have, you know, when you're not required to be in work or school, but it's, you know, leisure is defined by certain activities that are sort of uh, freeing in themselves because they're not for any practical end. Yeah. Even though they might actually be a lot of work also, you know, in that sense, they're, they're different from entertainment. I guess 
everything's a trade-off, right? You know, um, there, there is one, uh, person or a set of people that I heard that like kind of figured a way around the modern, uh, dilemma of your like free time, right? But it was a trade-off and these guys, they, uh, lived in New York and they owned like a shop there. And, um, there's three of them, two of them would work for a year or whatever, or like, and they had it in a way that it staggered like on half years, but basically one would have a year off and then the next one would have a year off. And then the next one would have a year off. However, they figured it out, but it was cool. Cause like, you know, imagine you work for like a year and then you just get a year off. <laughs> right. <laughs> like it's, it just sounds like a trade off, but. I mean, it sounds like an interesting way to get around the issue. As long as none of those guys ever need to get married or anything. Yeah. <laughs> I need, I need to go to the doctor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a, take a look at, uh, do you mind, I assume because you have them publicly, I can put some of these images on my, uh, blog also when I post this episode, right? Go for it. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a look at a couple of these. So you said that you consider these mostly abstract and I would say that's, on the whole, correct, but I think all or almost all of them also have um, images down in the detail. So how how would you describe your style of drawing? And I guess okay, also maybe tell yeah. us a little bit what medium you use or what the the process of creation is here. Okay, so we'll start with we'll start with the mediums. Um, it is mainly just a uh, pen and paper usually. Um, I, I think I use a 0.5 millimeter uh, ballpoint pen. And if it's not that, I'm using a stylus on a tablet. Um, occasionally I'll do other things, but it's very rare. Um, the content of the art, yeah, it's abstract, but, um, like you said, it's all imagery. Um, there's almost nothing in my art that doesn't, uh, like create a part of the whole of something. Um, like I'm I'm looking at it now to like see to like uh, convey it better, but like basically it's all sort of like this unplanned mess of like mental imagery. Um it almost looks like a neural dump <laughs> sure. or something like that. Um it looks like maybe what you could imagine my mind might look like when I'm like thinking real hard or something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's crazy. I go through a lot to make these and, um, my latest one, for instance, took me like probably 12 hours of work or like, yeah, like between 10 to 12 hours of work. Um, and I mean, emotionally it's a lot as well. Cause like, this is like my life poured into this, all these things like are me or what I'm doing or how I feel or, you know what I think is cool or what's bothering me or whatever. Um, you know, so I think <laughs> I can kind of describe it, but I don't think it can be described in, in like a voice. <laughs> right. In terms, you mean you couldn't describe the, the meaning of one of them necessarily in distinct terms. Really clear. Yeah. Terms. Yeah. Sure. I could, I could tell you like maybe like what some stuff is. <laughs> right. Oh, that's definitely, you know, that's what I was saying. You know, it, it is abstract, but I'll say compared to sort of 
abstract expressionism in terms of like the historical movement where there was a desire to sort of like destroy any um, classical sense of like order or beauty. A lot of these are actually, you know, pretty tightly organized. You know, Mm -hmm. it's abstract in the sense that there's sort of lines and geometric shapes going into each other. And it's not always necessarily, you know, in like designed on like classical proportions per se, but it all sort of like fits together as a whole also. Um, and it's also barely, it's also all very finely detailed where it sort of has a sort of, you know, ornate element to it that you don't necessarily see in like, you know, Rothko or some of the, um, yeah, uh, some of the painters of that generation, let's say. Um, but it's also not completely abstract. You know, I think, like I said, I, I don't know if it's all or almost all, but I, at least most of these I looked, if you get close to them, you can see there are distinct shapes. Sometimes it's very obvious, you know, one of these has a, a giant eyeball in the middle, which is, you know, an easy one to see or a face yeah. or a, a woman or, you know, so, but sometimes it's smaller. There's one where you have to zoom in a detail and you'll see sort of a, like a pyramid with a, you know, Saturn or another ringed planet above it. Um, <laughs> but some of them I don't necessarily see you know those yeah. shapes so I assume you don't necessarily plan any of that it's just sort of uh, as you're doing the lines you come to a place where you feel an image belongs or what's the process? Oh yeah yeah the process of creation I did not get to that so um, basically I, I could just draw without thinking of anything so I do that in the beginning um, I'll use big broad strokes and make like a flow um, of lines and kind of get like a rhythm on the page. Um, after I do that, I'll start kind of, uh, working the lines and like working where they can go. And like, I'll start to see like shapes or patterns in them, or I'll see images I could create. Um, and that's how it ends up being like, uh, almost like a diary entry right there is because it's what's on my mind. Um, so I'm, doing broad strokes, broad lines, and I'll figure out the pattern. And then I'll go in after I see the images. I'll start working some fine details, filling in space. Um, and eventually it kind of just starts happening automatically. Like, because I'll do that for like maybe two hours and it'll only be like, that's a very small portion of a page because it, it is a lot packed into, um, like every little spot. So I'll do that. And then once it, once I do that, it just, I see the entire thing after that little bit, I'll back up, maybe walk away for like a half hour, 40 minutes. And I come back and I can see like where the entire thing needs to go, how big it should be, um, what the content should be, things I should put in there. Um, and I just see it immediately. That part's hard to describe. Um, but it says if, it's as if it's like a beam down to me. <laughs> like I just downloaded the the drawing and I need to put it on paper and the rest, it feels like I'm a robot. Like yeah. I'll sit there with music on and just, it's automatically coming out of me. I don't even have to think or do anything other than just let it happen. That's interesting. You said you sort of start when you're making broad strokes at the beginning, feeling almost a rhythm. Um, just obviously, yeah, an image doesn't, properly speaking, have a rhythm, yeah. um, you know, and it's still, it doesn't move through time like a piece of music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just thinking, I, it, it makes sense to me because I, when on my shorter poems, particularly, 
you know, I, I think in part, partially because I'm <laughs> rebelling against the sort of, uh, personal, pers- personalist expressionist sort of way poetry was taught to me. I always like a poem to have sort of a discernible meaning by the time I finish it, like some kind of clarity in its statements. Yeah. But in terms of how I begin writing, it usually is maybe four or five words or, an image that just sort of occurs to me. And then I, it actually mm-hmm. begins by hearing a rhythm in my head where I can sort of hear the, the length of the lines and how many stresses are in each line. And I sort of hear it like the dump, the dump, the dump, the dump. Yes. <laughs> and then sort of build the, build the, the words and the ideas around this rhythm almost, which is maybe in not how people would expect. So it made, a, it makes a lot of sense to me the way you say that, even though I'm, I don't draw generally, not often. No, that makes actually complete sense to me. And I can describe what I meant to you. Um, when I say a rhythm or a flow, I mean, with my broad lines, I can control for the most part, how fast and where your eyes move when you look at it. Right. So depending on the way that the lines and everything are shaped, I control the way that somebody would view it. Right. Um, I would assume that those larger lines that, you know, like you said, that control how someone's eyes are going to be drawn in a sense, it is analogous to the rhythm in a piece of music that sort of mm-hmm. is the beat that drives along before you have lyrics and melody and harmony and so exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, there's a, a real analogy there. Uh, let me ask you about this one in particular uh, that mm-hmm. almost looks like it has a sort of a couple of scrolls and a number of things um, sort of almost pouring out of a book. Do you know which one I'm looking at here? Uh, yeah. It's titled My Next Step. Yes. Is that one that stood out to me because it looked like it maybe had a a clearer, maybe more conscious design than some of the others? Is that <laughs> is that true, or is that just sort of my my guesswork? That actually is pretty true, but okay. like also wrong. <laughs> sure. Um, because I, I originally was going to draw like a uh, a landscape. Oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was going to draw this for the group chat I'm in. Um, uh, my buddy, uh, it, well, you know, I'm, you know, I don't know if, if he wants me to say that. So, uh, whatever. Um, but I drew it for that and, um, it just ended up not being that at all. So it consciously, unconsciously sort of became this. Um, I decided it should become this and I, you know, laid it out. Um, you can see I kind of dabbled on to the upper right in this one. Um, but yeah, you, you are right as far as like, there's a lot of planned and conscious decisions in this one as far as the layout. Um, but it also is not what it was supposed to be. So there's maybe a, a range of planned and unplanned that sort of you maybe go back and forth on this spectrum of planned and unplanned in different ways. You're more, you're much more on the, but you're much more on the unplanned side. Yeah. We're we're, we're (laughs) leaning like 80% unplanned here. Right. Sure. That makes sense. All right. I don't draft anything or anything like that. Even with when I draw people, that's why I have such a hard time with drawing them. All right. Then we're going to get, our last question is going to, I'm going to ask you, because you told me a number of years ago you're a Christian convert. We're going to talk about that. But before we get to that, one more question. I see you have an anime avatar, several <laughs> naked ladies in these art. 
Is the anime avatar this is the signal that you're a pervert? <laughs> no. All right. No. No. I'm, it's, I'm um, sort of new to the internet, and I I found that that often is a way perverts signal to each other. That's not true. For me, no, I, I don't think it's true. For me, it's like a running joke. Sure. <laughs> because I used to um, rock an anime profile picture because nobody in my real life would have expected that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I used to watch anime as a kid and stuff, and then I recently got back into it, and now it's like I unironically love anime again, and now the profile picture would make sense to my re- in real life friends, so it's... I just was like, all right, I'm keeping it. <laughs> We're going with it. I was just curious. It's, it's an interesting phenomenon because I, I had friends, very nerdy friends who were into anime when I was like in middle school. And this is like before it was on American television. You had to go down to this one sort of like weird, like, um, rental place downtown. It was like the only place in the whole city that had it. Yeah. Yeah. But then you'd go and like rent a bunch of VHS tapes and, or you'd like know, uh, you'd have like, an older friend that, you know, worked at the comic book store or something that would get you like bootlegs or something. Uh, so I was yeah. like into it before it was like really on TV. And then by the time it was coming on a TV, I was over it. So it's interesting for, to be coming on to um, finally joining internet culture in the past year to see like, Oh, wow, this thing that I liked, like when I was a kid is people are like ideological about it. And, you know, sometimes it signals that you're like, far right or religious fanatic and sometimes it signals yeah. you're part of like some weird like transgender cult you know again i mean like, it's very odd to me because things. for me it was just sort of like oh i like these uh, i like these shows but it didn't really you know have this uh bigger cultural significance to me that it you know has grown to have um yeah but you're um, not part of some sort of anime pervert cult then that's good <laughs> yeah but, i wouldn't consider myself a part of much of anything yeah well glad to hear all right Let's see. I think, you know, maybe we can close on. So you're, how many years ago did you, you had, so you said you found God in your own way when I yeah. was talking to you privately. What, what, what do you mean by that? Um, I guess, uh, I mean, I felt God and I felt, you know, like through my own spiritual journey and thinking about it and feeling uh, the presence of God and everything like that, I sort of came to the conclusion that, um, that if I can just live to the, to my best and be the best that I can be and respect God and thank Him. And that's really, that's really all I got to do. And, where were, where were you coming from before that? Um, I, I was like an edgy atheist, little, little teenager, angsty, you know, I went through a couple phases and, you know, then I think I'm thinking like, oh, there's no God and there's nothing and all, it's all meaningless or this, that. Um, and I, I can't, I, I can think of a couple things that have like pointed me towards God and through like, you know, some crazy experiences in my life or, you know, the times that like I probably should have died. You know, I'm sure everybody's got plenty of those. I've got a lot of them. Um, and just all, all those sorts of things. It's like, this is obviously planned. 
this is obviously staged up. There's something going on here. And I explored it and I explored my feelings, my emotions and the things that came to me were how, how I came about it myself. And I don't want to follow anybody. I don't want to have somebody tell me how to appreciate God or, you know, what way is correct or incorrect or this or that. And I understand that a lot of people need that or love that or you know like it's it's people's thing and i really do respect that as because because as long as you're loving god that's that's really you know that's all it takes for me hey that's good good enough. yeah i guess for me it's not really for me it's just that i think that's true so it's not a matter of whether or not i i like that there are religious authorities or not it just is how it it's is. just the way but, it is um but that's you know a little, a little beyond this discussion here. Of course. So did you find? Um, let me ask you a question about your, your past. Then, when did you find when you were an edgy teenage atheist <laughs> that this changed your behavior in some ways? Because I, I know when I was, I don't know if I was an atheist per se, but when I was unbelieving and very nihilistic, it definitely, you know. There are things I did that I would say were, were evil works that I didn't even necessarily, you know, want to do exactly. It was just sort of, I didn't think there was any rule against them. So I thought, well, why not? You know, do you think it, uh, whereas other people are sort of like, well, I'm an atheist, but I'm very, you know, humanistic and I'm going to, you know, always be kind to everyone and yeah. you know, don't necessarily have that experience that I had when I was maybe a more deeply nihilistic version of unbeliever. Uh, so how, I guess how to, how did it affect you in terms of your behavior? I mean, I've done some terrible things in my life, but I've, I believe I've always been the same person. I've always had uh, a lot of love facing outwards uh, at all points in my life. Um, you know, there's been harder times for me and there's, you know, been struggles. And one of the struggles was like coming to understand myself, my place and, you know, what I believe and, I believe I was the same throughout all that. It's just, you know, my perspective is really the only thing that changed. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I would say. So it's changed. Uh, you didn't find that atheists, atheists necessarily drove you to live a way that you regretted. No, I mean, but, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. Saying regret makes it difficult sure, for me okay. to respond, well, okay, fine. <laughs> but because I do appreciate every single thing. Um, but I, I don't think that, um, a atheistic thought like pushed me to like, Oh, I'm atheist. So I'm going to, you know, shoot some heroin or something. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you know, I've always sort of, um, lived and done what I've wanted to anyways. So being atheist or not wouldn't you know, coerce me or stop me from doing something that somebody would consider bad. Um, but I would definitely say that I've been, hum I'm humanistic and that I've always been. Well, and animals, oh, animals, man. <laughs> I love, sure. I love animals so much. <laughs> sure. But do you think that, uh, I mean, this conversion, has it changed your perspective on, 
on creativity or on, you know, on the sort of art you do, or do you kind of maybe do this, or do you still mostly do the same sorts of things you did before in terms of your drawings? I mean, I definitely put shout outs to God in them <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's always been my belief that like my art came straight from the universe because it felt that way. Um, like as if it already existed and I just had to be the guy to put it down. Um, so I mean, obviously, to me now it's like, oh, well, God made the universe. So <laughs> it's, it's a, you know, indirect, direct sort of translation, I guess. But and at the end of the day, it's still directly me. But once again, I'm a product of the universe. The universe is a product of God, right? So it's in a way it's God's work, I would say, but is that you know, like, is that an arrogant thing to say? Yeah, it's maybe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, when I say that, I mean, a lot of people do God's work, and I would say most people do as well. Sure. I mean, I would say it's certainly arrogant if you take it in the sense that <laughs> some people do where they start viewing, you know, their their artwork almost like a, a prophecy or as an authority for other people. <laughs> no. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't get the impression that you mean it that way. <laughs> no. Uh, but that's. Yeah. Nobody take that the wrong way. Definitely something that, <laughs> it's definitely something that happens really in some, some schools of sort of religious artistic thought where people start viewing their creative process, you know, as literal prophecy rather than maybe no. something that's like analogous to prophecy. But I don't get the impression that you mean it that way. You mean it no. in a, in a, I would say a, a harmless or even a healthy way. A very and, loving way. As, as much love as possible in that statement. It, it is very interesting for me, me to think about that. Um, you know, even if you took out any sort of supernatural explanation of it, just the psychology of it that yeah. creative people tend to, um, experience that process as something that's sort of a power working through them or something that they, you know, saw in their mind that, you know, that not in their mind isn't something they imagined, but saw in their mind, like almost through a sixth sense or something that yeah. then they just had to bring into the world. Um, you know, even going back to, you know, ancient Greece and the talk of, you know, the, of the muses, it's seems to be a pretty universal human phenomenon that people in a creative process to have that kind of experience, even if you, even if you assume that it's something, you know, a purely material process. Yeah. That our, psycholo our psychology almost requires us to imagine it that way, even if we don't believe that's what it is. It's something that can be found in a lot of places. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I also have played the drums almost as long as I've drawn. And that's something that the same thing triggers. Um, I mean, even something like racing a car, it triggers with that for me too. Like I automatically see what needs to happen, where to go, and it happens automatically as well. Driving, you know, drumming, um, in intense scenarios, it's just sort of like what happens. I've heard of athletes saying, you know, it's the zone, man. <laughs> um, and that's what it is. It's a hundred percent of the zone. You're tapped in. You tapped into the universe. You're getting the info. You're automatically doing exactly what you need to do right when you need to do it. Right, know, it man. is. It is interesting that it's not a. However you explain it, like I know sometimes I'll have a 
a poem I'll make that will have very intricate images and there'll be all these, I'll read through it later and be like, oh, well, there's all these allusions to books I've read. There's all these sort of uh, parallelisms between images at the, you know, the beginning and the end of the poem that are maybe not consciously planned. That if you tried to plan them, it's uh, often so detailed, it would be impossible to sort of like write it all down as steps. It would be, you know, like 10 pages of notes to sort of make all the, yeah. the fine tuning of everything that's in this relatively short poem. But when you're, you know, in the, in the zone, as people say, it all just sort of comes through and you say, wow, there's a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'll explain it. There's a lot of intelligence behind this that I couldn't have put into it if I were trying to plan every, every step of it ahead of time. Yeah. It's- you can't, you can't plan things. I've tried planning my art. It does not work. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. I, <laughs> we, glad we had this talk here. I'll, I'll put the, yeah. I'll put this up in the next uh, week or so. I'll put a few of your, I'll just choose whatever I like the best and I'll put some of your images up there. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for coming on. Is there, why don't you uh, give us a closing statement, whatever you want the, the world to hear. Well, just that it was an absolute pleasure and just love each other, love yourself and appreciate everything good and bad. All right. Well, thanks for coming up. I'll, I'll see you on the internet there. Thank you so much, man.